to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. The Russ Belleville Show. The voice of the marijuana nation. It's like marijuana ought to be legalized. Good people smoke marijuana. Now, here's your host, Radical Russ Belleville. Good day, tokers and toquettes and non-toking lovers of liberty. It is Friday, February 17th, 2017, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. Congratulations, folks. We made it to the weekend, and we're coming to you live from the Hilton Union Square in San Francisco, California. We're in the expo portion of the International Cannabis Business Conference. The uh, events, the uh, panels are going on in the other building, and uh, we, or other room, I should say, and we have got a jam-packed show for you today. You'll hear from John Sally, the NBA champion. You'll hear the complete keynote address from Henry Rollins, the uh, longtime social advocate. But first, we begin with an interview I conducted with Tommy Chong, not, oh, I don't know, an hour ago, right here on the floor of the Expo. Take it away, Tommy Chong. The cannabis community is a diverse set of people from all walks of life. Conservative and liberal, black and white, straight and gay, rich and poor, and everyone in between. Learn more about the people we are freeing from adult cannabis prohibition in our Cannabis Community Chat. Hi, Tommy. How you doing? Good to see you. Cannabis Radio, That's right. It? We, we've spoken before many times. Many Good to see times. you again. And uh, how are things different going with you? your clothes on? I, I know. You are so kind. Uh, Chong's Choice Cannabis is all under display here, and it says your goal is to get cannabis yeah. recognized by the AMA as a viable medicine. How's the progress on that? Well, they found out that cannabis works on the brain. We have receptors that accept uh, the THC, and... So what we found out, the purer the product, the higher the uh, success rate. And so Chong's Choice is dedicated to finding the best for the least to give to the most. Excellent. And people can pick up Chong's Choice in all the legal states, or where, where can they find your products now? Well, they can find it in all the legal states for sure. Uh, we're, we're a startup company. And so the demand is a lot higher than the, our, our ability to uh, meet the demand, which is going to be a problem, I think, that everybody's going to love. <laughs> yeah. we, I don't mind that. That's the kind of problem But what we, what we do, though, the, the real sick, the, the ones that really need it, we make sure that they get it without any hassle, you know, without any uh, payment, without any, any hassle. They, we just got to be informed about it. And verified, and then we'll we'll go ahead and help people. And what we've been doing too is uh, the people that have been using it and, and finding good results with Chong's Choice. They're they're turning their friends on. They're turning their people on. And in the cannabis world, we're a family. You know, we're, we're beyond a village. We're all connected, and the way we're connected is through the magic weed. And we're connected all over the world. And eventually, we will uh, have peace on Earth. 
Excellent. The last time I spoke to you here in San Francisco, we discussed the possibility of a President Donald Trump. Now it's a reality, and you were giving Remember, me Remember, some... I was four. Yeah, Donald you Trump gave me some pretty time. interesting yeah. quotes back then, and what do you and, think now? Uh, no, I, I still... Unfortunately for Donald, <laughs> you know, he's being used. He's being used by a higher power. Because what happened... With, with all the administrations, you know, both, both the Democrats and Republicans, they always morph into this look-out-for-themselves greed trip. And so when Donald Trump says they want to drain the swamp, that wasn't, he's not original. He's never been original in his life. He doesn't have an original thought, which is why when he gets in front of people on the news conference, he has nothing to say except <laughs> what's on his mind, which is, I really want... I won. Uh, did you see the big win I did? You know, <laughs> he still can't get past the fact that he won the presidency. Yeah. You know, because Trump is like a sprinter in a race. He thinks that once you cross the finish line, the race is over. Yeah. But he doesn't realize that once you cross the finish line with the presidency, your job just beginning. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so I'm loving. I'm loving everything. And what I said was true about Donald Trump, you know. He was going to, and he has destroyed both parties, literally. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's what he said he was going to do, and that's what he's done. Now, going forward, because we've got such a great Constitution, thanks to potheads right. who wrote the Constitution, we have a checks and balance that the minute they get enough evidence on the wrongdoings of Mr. Trump, his next crowd will be in front of uh, the Christmas uh, uh, concert in a local prison somewhere. <laughs> they, they say the Constitution was written by geniuses, so it could be run by idiots. It looks like we're getting to test that. Oh, we're getting the test? <laughs> we're getting the test? It's absolutely sure. You know, watching him stumble around try to speak, watching him walk down Air Force One, he still doesn't know how to be presidential. <laughs> yeah. He still walks down president. He walks down uh, the, the the ramp from Air Force One like he's going into an unknown cavern or something. <laughs> you know, he's yeah. an old guy and he's very careful where he steps. Yeah. And, you know, where Barack Obama, George Bush, all of them, they bounded down, up and down that thing. You know, because they were the president of the United States. Yeah. Well, he's still Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> he sure is. And he'll never be anything else but Donald Trump. So I love him for it. And, and I love what's going on in the world. And don't forget, Trump got elected the same time pot got legal. Right. And it's no coincidence. There you go. Because God does not give you any burden without some way to share it. Fantastic. To Tommy Chong, I know you got a lot of people here waiting to talk to you and take some pictures. Any last words for our audience? Last words... Uh, buy low, sell high. I think, think that's it. Be high, sell high. Yeah. <laughs> buy low, get high. There we go. <laughs> and make America stoned again. And get America stoned again. <laughs> Thank you, Tommy Chong. Appreciate Thank your you. time. All right, we got a special guest joining us here at the desk live at the International Cannabis Business Conference in San Francisco. It's Alex Rogers, the creator and producer. How you doing, Alex? I'm good, Russ. Yeah, it's been a busy and hectic day, but uh, what a start. Start with Henry Rollins. We got John Sally to end it. Tell you, tell folks how it's been going so far. Yeah, it's it's been going great. Uh, this is actually the biggest and baddest ICBC we've had. It's indicative of us, uh, uh, indicative of us working 
uh, for all these years building our brand and uh, things are really starting to take off. We've always been a prominent conference in the industry, but uh, the San Francisco show is indicative that, that we're definitely one of the top uh, in 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 the world and uh you know i'm just thankful for all the people all the exhibitors all the vibes uh you know we're here not we're, we're not just here to make money we're here to we're here to do something special and different and and help change society for the better there was a panel earlier this morning with Lori ajax and and talking about uh california regulatory uh system what's going to happen here after prop 64 this is uh the biggest market by far and it's just great to have icbc here representing and reminding them that there's an activism part of this too yeah i mean when we uh, and, and, and we take that into account when we inform people uh, uh you know regarding public policy it isn't skewed to how you're going to capitalize specifically or how um, you're going to lobby for your own special interest. It's how are we going to push this whole movement uh, forward because, um, what do they say, high tides uh, lift all boats. Yes, indeed. So uh, internationalcbc.com is the website. You need to go there because this isn't the only one. In a couple of months, uh, auf to Deutschland. Yeah, wir gehen nach Deutschland. Das stimmt. You know, I, I, have, a, I have a pretty uh, strong history in Germany. Uh, uh, I'm really proud to go back to Germany. You know, what's cool, Russ, is when, we, when I booked it, the, the venue a year and a half ago, everyone thought I was crazy. And I thought maybe I was crazy too, <laughs> and I, um, you know, but I had some. I was telling everyone for for the last four years, I've been telling everyone that Berlin's going to be the cannabis capital of the world, and you know, I just had a feeling. But you know, a lot of times your feelings don't come to fruition, obviously. But I had a strong feeling, and uh, it just so happens that three weeks before the conference, April tenth through the twelfth. Uh, the entire uh, German medical marijuana system is going online. Um, you know, they've already had a medical marijuana system. They've been kind of stagnant at about 1,000 patients. It's a very cumbersome process to get your car. It's actually a prescription in in Germany. Um, that, and then you pick the pharmacy, and you've got to go through all this rigmarole. Um, so what's happened now is it's going to be easy to get your prescription, you know, so to speak. It's going to be easy, and you're going to and any pharmacy you'll be able to get any pharmacy that carries pot. You'll if you're a card or if you have a prescription, you'll be able to pro- procure it uh, there. Also, hmm. uh, domestic licensed producers are going to be applying for applications uh, in a couple months, and this is huge. So the analogy is Canada. It's almost exactly sure. like the Canadian system, um, except the LPs sell directly to patients in Canada. And in uh, Germany, the LPs are going to sell to pharmacies, and the pharmacies are going to sell to patients. So it is the number one world in the market uh, uh, coming online, right? Uh, uh, market in the world coming on online right now, and uh, Germany will be the can. Uh, Berlin will be the cannabis capital of the world. I can say that definitively uh, now. April tenth and eleventh. April tenth through the twelfth. Twelfth. Yeah, we've got United States Congressman Rohrbacher. Speaking, we have the head of Commission on Drugs uh, speaking. We have um, uh, Tommy Chong's actually uh, g- gonna be there, you know, and he's at a lot of our events, you know. Uh, but to bring him to Berlin is is is, is something uh, uh, really special. I mean, our lineup is crazy, and uh, it is the place for doing business. The conference is going to be about the same size as San Francisco, so it's going to be huge. 
there's a tremendous interest not only in North America for Canadians and, and Americans, but but in Germany, the market is more primed and and, and advanced that than we could ever imagine. You know, like when the, you go to Germany and they're like telling you about Beatles music more than yeah. you would ever think about. You know, <laughs> it's almost like they're they're just smart. They're on it and and, and they're down for business. So it's the number one uh, uh, burgeoning market, uh, emerging market in the world. Uh, right now, and so we are extremely thrilled uh, uh, to be going to Berlin. And then in December, off to Hawaii. So yeah, man, we got the cannabis island retreat in Kauai. <laughs> uh, you know, basically, I was staying in Kauai. You know, what I mean, just because I like it. I was on vacation with my family, and we w- we were up at the North Shore, and it was all rainy. And I was like, forget this. Let's go down to the South Shore where it's sunny. I don't work my ass off to. To, to, to sit in the rain for four days on my vacation. And so I, uh, I went down to the Grand Hyatt, which is like the most pimp hotel, uh, on the island. But yet it's not hoity toity. It's like you got, they got raga music playing everywhere and everyone's like, hang loose. They do a lot of comma Ina rates to the locals there. And okay. it's just really, it's just a really great, great place, but super high end at the same time. And so I just went, actually, I was trying to get a room. A lot of times I'll, when I go, if I'm traveling, I'll call a hotel up and say, hey, I'm Alex Rogers, International Cannabis Business Conference, and I'm considering possibly having a conference. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to stay there for four nights. Could you offer me a discounted rate? <laughs> and I always get it. And I got it in this case. So I only did it just to hustle the discounted rate sure. for a few days, right? <laughs> and, and so, and so that, cause it's five, it's 600 bucks a night, five, 600 bucks a night for just for a regular room at that grand wow. Hyatt, right? So I, right there, that was prohibitive and I knew it wasn't going to work. So, so I went and did my little tour, you know, like back in the day when you do the timeshare tour, cause you got the free Jeep or whatever, right. or the upgrade for the, for the, to the, uh, 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 convertible. Anyway, uh, uh, so I so I, I talked with the nice gal Sherry there, and uh, basically I I I said, you know, I will do the event, but I've got to get this rate under two hundred dollars per night, and with the resort fee waived, and it's not going to work. And I thought they were going to tell me to buzz off, and sure. um, the rates one hundred eighty starts at one hundred eighty bucks a night with the resort fee waived, so wow. that's less than the comma Ina rate. And so it's a great place. We're already selling mad tickets, mad interest. It's going to be huge because uh, 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 everyone's going there. Not only is Hawaii coming online, and we will be talking about Australia because we will be in Australia in 218, kind of more doing some Pacific Rim stuff. Uh, but it's a great place to write off of a right off a vacation for your for your business. Canada's Island Retreat. A lawyer friend of mine, I mentioned this to you, she said, oh my God, I could expense that. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. There was a method to my madness. Exactly. <laughs> InternationalCBC.com is where you'll find the information for Berlin, for Hawaii, and eventually for Australia. That's right. And wherever else we go. We're going all those same places next year. Uh, we're just adding... Uh, we might not go to Kauai. We might do Jamaica, uh, but we're adding uh, 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 Australia. Back so to- basically, it's Vancouver, yeah. San Francisco, Berlin, and Australia. And then we so every now and then we'll throw a, a, another one uh, in there. Um, like basically, I kind of like the idea of these destination events. Sure. And so we might be doing. Uh, even though Berlin and, and Australia and Vancouver, or San Francisco are destination events in the in and of themselves. Sure. But I really want to do some just epic, like one one a year, like the grill, yeah. Kauai. Yeah. You know. So anyway, that's we're, we're we're pushing hard. We're getting a lot of love. 
uh, it's awesome, dude. Well, folks, check it out at internationalcbc.com. Alex Rogers here is the founder and the executive director. Always puts together a great show, and we're going to give you some more of that show because earlier today, he was just standing right in front of me, and I got John Sally to sit down Dope. and talk. And what a great guy. Uh, he's so back. fun and A lot of fun. Cool. So here you go. We're going to give you a high on sports segment with uh, John Sally at the International Cannabis Business Conference. Take it away, Liebermater. Marijuana has long been defined as a banned substance for athletes in almost every field of competition. But as emerging research continues to show the health benefits of cannabis over traditional sports medicine, more athletes are calling for cannabis tolerance in this edition of High on Sports. Welcome, everybody, to this impromptu live broadcast from the International Cannabis Business Conference here in San Francisco, California, ICBC San Francisco. And uh, I was just sitting here looking over at the uh, booth across from me, the folks out there at Freedom Leaf. And uh, who would come walking by but three-time NBA four time. champion? Four-time NBA champion. Oh, I remember why I messed that up. Four-time NBA champion, John Sally. One of two men to win three championships with three different teams. In three decades. Robert Ory being the other one, right? Right. Right on, man. Well, three different teams. I won in three decades and two millenniums. <laughs> you got it. You with got a bad, with, with <laughs> never having any kind of cannabis, just Advil. Just Advil all that time. So th- it, that wasn't a thing back then in your day. No, it was the thing. I just didn't, I didn't do it. I found out. I was wondering why a lot of my teammates didn't hang out with me after playing. Right, right. Uh, it's because I obviously didn't partake in the – one, I didn't drink either. Yeah. So uh, I didn't drink alcohol. So there was no reason for me to hang out. Well, I just like women. <laughs> well, with uh, uh, you know, cannabis and the association goes back – I mean, I recall back in the early 80s and uh, Kareem talking about it yeah. even. So uh, has this – has it always been something and it's just something you've become aware of recently? No, it's always been a thing. I remember when they would talk about people like Kareem would talk about cannabis and um, – People like uh, Robert Paris for the Celtics didn't talk about it, right, but right. then Chief. supposedly Chief, like you know, that's the nickname, Chief. And, <laughs> that's a double meaning there. Yes, <laughs> and, and and I would hear things, um, but then I like my last month of playing, yeah. I tried, it. yeah, and um, and then I didn't do it again until I was forty-two, and then at forty-four I became more of a, um, a smoker, yeah, and now I'm fifty-two and I'm advocating. Yeah. yeah, I've often said that uh, once you hit AARP age, you ought yeah. to get a medical marijuana card automatically. That's what I say. You hit fifty, man, it's <laughs> everything aches. Hey, somebody call that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll make that happen. Uh, I've 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 spoken with some uh, former players, the NFL, former NBA players. I always and some mixed martial artists as well. And I always bring up the fact that you know the leagues tend to frown on cannabis use. Seemingly as a moral issue, not as a performance-enhancing issue, but is there a performance-enhancing aspect as far as being able to recover or pain relief or even slowing down time? I'd imagine the NBA, that could be useful. Well, the first thing is, let me explain. I, I, I to this day, think the steroid situation yeah. in baseball is a ridiculous fight. It's a ridiculous fight because what the steroids would be handed to you from a doctor if you wasn't a professional athlete to right. help you recover. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's supposed to be a miracle drug. But as an athlete, they don't want to help you recover. Yeah. So that's the first thing when we talk about steroids, which I didn't understand why there was even a concern. 
And then for people to concern themselves and say things about, well, this happens to your gonads and this, that people don't care about athletes. Yeah. <laughs> they can say they do. They yeah, don't. Yeah. So when it comes down to the drugs, the drugs that we're administered over the counter, you may take one if you see a commercial because your back hurts. We take three every three in the morning and three before you play. So we're at six to seven of those. Yeah. So, Matt, and that's to perform because we get paid to perform. Yeah. Not win, not lose, perform. So if you want professional athletes to perform because that's their job, whatever it takes for them to perform is necessary. Mm -hmm. But if you want them to perform and continue to perform and give you the highest form of their performance, <laughs> the highest form of their performance, then what you should do is figure out how to do it naturally. And that's when I realized that this kind of cannabis was a natural way of doing it. It always strikes me as odd that we don't seem to have a problem with artificial mechanical fixes for sports, be it, you know, Tommy John surgery for pitchers or the batting armor that they wear. Or which whatever. makes them better. Yeah, which makes them better. But a chemical fix, we don't. We frown on that. We see it as a, a natural fix. They do like the chemical fix. They'll, they'll let you take Vicodin yeah. and, and they'll let you get hooked on, on pharmaceuticals. But they don't want you if you're not hooked. If they don't have an angle to play against you, they, they don't want you. When you're self-sufficient and critical thinking in any part of industry in America, sure. they don't want critical thinkers. George Carlin once said, right. uh, we want them smart enough to run the machines, dumb enough to accept their lot in life. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So uh, what's your angle on this being here at ICBC? I, I understood you invested in the cannabis. Uh, yeah, and I'm a, I'm a shareholder in Canopy uh, Canada. And my daughter and I started our own um, line. So it's the John Sally. It's called Deuces. My number is 22. Sure. Uh, we're released March 15th throughout the country. Right now we have 54 dispensaries. And uh, we just met with a distributor that can get me into over 100 or 500 dispensaries. I need to be in every dispensary. I told them, they said, who do you want to be? I said, I want to be as recognizable as Coca-Cola, but the business sense a Pepsi Cola. <laughs> Very nice. Very little, maybe some Ben and Jerry's ethics. Some, some, yeah. you know, give back to the community. More than that. Yeah. It's more than giving back to the community. It's literally making a community. Because I didn't take anything from the community. So giving back to them would be if I took something from them. Ah. I'm enhancing the community. And this is what they need to realize. The liquor store on the corner does not enhance your community. Mm -hmm. The 7-11, uh, the... the the Taco Bell, the Subway, all these fast food joints, which cause us to take menial paying jobs, demeaning jobs, because people go in there and treat you like garbage. Food that's not really good for you to develop is literally killing your community. This is different. Everybody in this business, you could live in a neighborhood and work in a neighborhood, and if somebody, you can steal. There's no reason to steal from a dispensary. There's, everything is almost free anyway. Yeah. So it trains the community different. We don't have to steal from one another. We don't have to over, we don't have to kick the situations out like, he's trying to steal from me, he's trying to, no. Everybody will look out for you. It gives you a better feeling. Yeah. People rob liquor stores because they're angry. They got liquid courage. 
They also rob dispensaries, but they get caught because they move slow. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's something our, our opponents, uh, uh, opponents of marijuana legalization bring up is they'll say, well, you know, it's, it's going to be like big tobacco. It's going to be like big alcohol. They're going to prey on minority communities. They have a, a liquor store in every corner. It's going to be a right. pot shop in every corner. And I always say, I'd rather have a pot shop on the corner than a dealer. Yeah, you know the pot shop's not going to shoot it out over a dispute. He's not, and he and and, and no one's going to say get off my corner. I, it's brick and mortar, <laughs> and I got a license. Yeah, <laughs> and it, that's another thing. If we can show, I, I'm part of the things I'm going to speak about today, but we give it you know to you fresh. Thank you. Is there's close to four hundred to six hundred thousand black men and women in jail because of their dealings in marijuana. Which they want to say narcotics. We don't say that. Dealing in marijuana. And when in some states, when they get out, because of their record, they won't be able to work in this industry, which is now going like wildfire. Yep. And that's a shame. That's the same that the pioneers who got all the arrows won't get any of the feast. Mm-hmm. So I have to figure out a way. As Jay-Z said, uh, I'm getting the record labels back for what they did to the Cold Crush, meaning the reason I'm making this money and changing this is because we have been destroyed so early. And I'm going to figure out a way to employ certain people, yeah, especially if they've spent time in the prison system in America. That's great news to hear, and, and it, it reaches so deeply beyond even economics. I always point out the case that uh, in Florida, 21 grams of cannabis is a felony. You get a felony in Florida, you lose your right to vote for life. Right. Uh, who gets busted the most for cannabis? African Americans. That's right. This has led to a situation in Florida where one out of five black men of voting age cannot vote in that state. Had they been able to vote, we'd have had a president. President Gore and probably another President Clinton. If they were allowed to vote, um, President Obama would have been reelected. We would have changed the rules. <laughs> we repeal the Twenty Second Amendment. Yeah, the yeah. rules would have been wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, man, I appreciate. Thank you so it. much, John Sally, for stopping by here. Uh, you're speaking later today with uh, Steve Bloom, like 4:30, I believe. Right. Right. Fantastic. Yeah. That's Glad why I had to get to you first. Give you on the down stop. That's right. Thanks for joining us here, and uh, we'll be back at three o'clock live here on the Russ Belleville Show. Peace out, everybody, and we'll see you at the after party. Yes. Right on. Activism begins with ACT. The Rush Belleville Show features the stories of hardworking grassroots activists working for an end to prohibition in today's activist agenda. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I don't think uh, the irony is lost upon Alex that many years ago he was a young man with stringy hair on Haight-Ashbury with his big legalized marijuana sign. Uh, and now he's in the Hilton with a tie around his neck. And either that's selling out or moving up, but you've made very, very well for yourself, sir. Uh, and so look, uh, I'm going to speak for a little while, and then uh, Alex is going to jump in and interrupt me, and I'll stop, and I'll take a few questions, and then you all will get on with your day. You have a lot of speakers and a lot of stuff. 
I think it is perfect for me to be speaking to you. It's fun to speak to a bunch of people who enjoy cannabis for whatever reason, but I think it's very relevant to talk to people who will be potentially selling and shaping the consciousness of how the perception of cannabis in the state of California and anywhere else in the world. And so you are the people I really want to talk to the most. I don't use cannabis at all. I'm not one of those people who smacks the joint out of someone's hand. I just don't want it. But one day if I do, I don't want to sneak around. I don't want to have to get a medical card. I just want to go buy it like I want to buy anything else. I don't want to feel bad about doing it. And that's why I am so much for the legalization and even more importantly to me, the more important than the legalization of cannabis with the decriminalization of it and to remove the stigma of it. And so here's a thing that happened a few years ago because that's the most important thing and I'll get into that in about 20 minutes as before I take the Q&A thing. A few years ago, I was doing a television show on the History Channel called 10 Things You Don't Know About, Insert Topic. And our show was very, very good. We had a team of experts, and we did 10 Things You Don't Know About Presidential Assassinations, 10 Things You Don't Know About the Hoover Dam, etc., etc. We only got two seasons on History Channel. Why? Because our show was so rich with history. It had no signs of alien abduction, uh, yeti, uh, the paranormal, or vampires. We were too history-rich for History Channel, so we had to go. But before they dumped our wonderful show, I proposed a show, because we have to you know, come up to produce these shows. We have these ideas. I said, how about 10 things you don't know about the history of cannabis and hemp in America? Because it is steeped in racism, in bigotry, corruption, and just downright meanness. And History Channel said, that's a good idea. So we got to work. And a few years ago, on 420, on April 20th, uh, we were in Denver, Colorado for the High Times Cannabis Cup. We, being History Channel, we get full run of the place. They're expecting about 30,000 people at this event. I have never seen so many bored policemen in my life as these kids line the parking lot, a line that goes from here to Long Beach. It was incredible. Hacky sacks, frisbees, and all you see is cops chasing hacky sacks and giving frisbees back to you. Can you please stay on the sidewalk? No heads were cracked open. It was just a bunch of wonderful, peaceful people dressed up in brightly colored outfits. And so we get to have the cool camera angle. We set up our camera inside the doors. So at 9 a.m. or whenever it was and the doors open, young people come flooding in right by our camera going, yay! And I spent all day there. And we spent part of the day in the vendor part. We talked to young entrepreneurs who were selling everything from product to accoutrement, a place to put your weed. And then we spent the other half of the day in the room where everyone is enjoying the product. And the first part of the day, we were interviewing people who couldn't finish the sentence because they're having a really good time. Then we went into the other part where everyone is enjoying the product, and I became the person who couldn't finish the sentence. And usually I can remember everything I need. I don't need a script, I don't need notes, I don't need nothing. I usually have it right here. Within 20 minutes of being in this cannabis-rich environment, I can't even get to the end of a sentence. And so I'm, I'm talking to people, and they're smiling, and I'm smiling, and I, I don't remember any of the interview. And so, mercifully, lunch intervened. And so we're sitting in some green room area with the sandwiches one of our uh, assistant producers ran out to get to us for us. And I'm sitting there eating this sandwich. And I'm thinking, am I doing 
I'm high 101 because I have really no experience with cannabis except for the one time in May of 1987 to 7-Eleven Hamilton Street in Trenton, New Jersey, where I smoked the bass player's joint out of boredom. And I'm not, I'm not trying to express any contempt for cannabis, not at all, quite the opposite. But I said, let me try that. And they said, Henry, you? I went, yes. And I tried it and I got incredibly stoned where I had to be counsel on how to put a glass of water back on a table. I'm like... How do I do that? He said, you just put it down. I was like, How, can you walk me through this? I, went, I said, really? And you guys function on this? And my rhythm section functioned marvelously. Uh, and so just so you know, if you ever was a fan of any record I made, most of those were cannabis fueled in part, just so you know. And that's not that much of a secret. I just want you to know it. Anyway, cannabis cup. And so I'm eating this sandwich. And I don't, I don't want to ask this question, but I have to. And I'm eating the sandwich, and it's like every taste bud on my tongue is exploding with pleasure for this tuna melt that I got from some sandwich place. And I looked at my fellow uh, uh, staff, or my, you know, the shoot people, and I said, am I a little bit under the weather? Or is this the best tasting sandwich I've ever had in my life? And they went, I didn't want to say anything, but it tastes really good. And so... The thing that hit me, besides meeting all these wonderful young people at this cannabis event, was one day, you're not going to need this anymore. That is to say, one day, cannabis will be easily obtained, and we won't have to have the cannabis cup, and people won't have to run in through the door going, yay, I'm kind of free for a little while in this state. They can just say, I go to the store, I get my groceries, I get some cannabis, why I have arthritis, or I just enjoy it for whatever reason. And that is why I am here with you today. Many, many years ago in Washington, D.C., where I was born and raised, I learned about racism by kids running up to me and calling me cracker and bama and hitting me or putting their fists in my face. And I would dependably piss my pants in front of them. I was very nervous and it didn't take much to terrify me. And so by third grade, I understood racism because my mom made me understand these kids don't mean what they say. They're just getting bad information from their parents. It's an angry time because to the left of my mother's Joan Baez in a wall. She worked for health, education and welfare under Joseph Califano, under Johnson. She tried to make public educational delivery systems deliver. I'm sure uh, she's probably wanting to bite the face off Betsy DeVos right now. And so I learned about racism at an early age, and by 1969 or so, I realized that my journey through America was going to be very different being white as than it was going to be for my classmates who were not white. They were going to have a very different America. And that was a very intense thing to take on as a 9 or 10-year-old, but I understood it. And going forward, I remember in my 15th year or so, I was on a skateboard with all my friends, and we'd go pick up one of our friends from his house so we could all go run around on the streets like crazy young kids. And his mom had glaucoma, a word I was not familiar with. She had glaucoma. She got legal cannabis from the government. And it would come uh, in a, like a, a peanut butter jar, a plastic jar of like 50 purple, I'll never forget it, 50 purple rolling paper joints. Very, very skinny. And I remember smelling it and knowing what I know now about cannabis, that weed was really bad. And so my friend used to steal the second half of the purple joint from the ashtray so he could enjoy it. And as a young person, I understood something that, that is relevant to all of us right now. 
There was hypocrisy and duality in how America prosecuted cannabis possession. If you have glaucoma and you got the right government hookup, the government sends you weed in the mail. But if you're the stoner high on Robin Trower and bad weed outside the arena, you could be in trouble. And as a young person, I started going to uh, parties to hang out and try and meet girls. I was very, very shy. And so I'd get one invite and I'd go to these houses in my neighborhoods in Washington, D.C. And inside are all the young proto-Reaganites getting drunk, trying to beat each other up or cop a feel. But the real thing was happening outside. The guys who were smoking cannabis who could not get in because they didn't, the parents don't want the smell in the house. Alcohol and vomiting on the carpet was fine, but the smell of cannabis, not fine. And I found myself standing outside in inclement weather with the, quote, stoners. Why? They were friendlier, they were smarter, and they were funnier. And so that's when I started to understand that marijuana, the prosecution against it, was a scam. And I don't need to tell you your American history, you're all over it, but just a few quick bullet points. American history is steeped in genocide, brutality, slavery, corruption, from the beginning to right now. And one of the things that started the beginning of, uh, the, the, beginning of the, the 20th century, after the Mexican Revolution, was marijuana started coming into this country, almost immediately identified as a Mexican person's high, a brown-skinned person's high. When white culture started adopting it, the law and the governments of whatever state started coming down on it. You remember the guy, Harry J. Anslinger, 1932, I think, the, uh, the, the Uniform State uh, Drugs Narcotic uh, Act became relevant and demonizing marijuana all across the country, where it is now still to this day. It resides as a Schedule I controlled substance, right there with LSD and heroin and GHB and ecstasy and marijuana. And basically the definition for a category one substance would be having no redeeming medical value with potential for abuse, which is exactly a 180 from the truth. And so as you've seen all over this country, states are starting to flip. And this is what is relevant to all of us. And this is why I wanted to talk to you today. It is going to be an affront to state governments and big pharma and other huge forces in the economic universe when states start going legal. States have seen Colorado and how much money comes in. They will be unable to resist that money. But please understand, in our wonderful California and anywhere else in America, no doubt they weighed the idea of will we make more money in tax revenue from regulating uh, marijuana sales or will we make more money throwing Johnny with his ass pocket of weed into jail for having marijuana? It's not hearts and minds from the government. It's how much money can we make? And they're seeing they can make more money in weed. So these people are not your friend. They would rather bust you than not. They just like your money better than the incarceration buck. And I'm gonna to get to, I'm gonna elaborate that on that in a second. One other thing about that cannabis cup thing I went to, I spent several days in Colorado uh, with History Channel filming different aspects of the cannabis industry. We went to a grow facility 
that was about the size of a Walmart. It was an industrial space like this, you know, very kind of utilitarian. But it went on, you could tee off a golf ball in it and the golf ball wouldn't hit a wall. It was that big. And we did a three-hour tour of the facility with the scientist who organized the whole thing. Three young men owned this place. They are blood brothers. The three brothers got out of real estate because they saw the end of that dollar and they wanted a new dollar. So they got into cannabis and they got into it in a big way. We went to room to room to room. This plant is four weeks old. These plants are five weeks old. And it's all hydroponically grown and cloned from the plant the guy developed when he was in college. The guy was amazing. The facility was incredible. Every plant was, was bar tagged. I mean, it is a very intense operation. We were there for hours. And the next day after we were there, we went to the dispensary or the shop where the guys, the, the brothers' goods are vended. And the cannabis goes in an armored truck to the place because it's worth so much money. And so inside, it was incredible. They have all kinds of strains and all kinds of things you can get. But what was really fascinating to me was the staff. The staff was really well-dressed and very sharp young people who had tried every single product inside the store. And I'm sure they had a really good time. We had some jokes about that. But they, what they were very concerned with is you, the customer, coming in and getting the right product. And so I interviewed one young lady. I said, well, walk me through that. Say I'm a novice cannabis enthusiast, and what would you sell me? She said, well, I'm not going to sell you this, this, or this, because these are very, very psychedelic highs. This is advanced math. We would break you in on the ground floor with this, this, or this. And I did not understand that there's so many different kinds and strains of cannabis that would give you a different result. The point I'm making is the care that this facility had to deliver something truly good to the customer, not just to make money. They were trying to do good. The thing that was most relevant to me was I left the place around 9 a.m. They have to open the place to let all the customers in. I'm waiting for uh, my, my crewmates to gear up so we can go to the next location. So I'm standing outside waiting for them. I notice the line of people waiting to come in. There's an elderly couple. There is a young student. There is a businessman checking his Blackberry. I mean, this was America I was looking at. It wasn't a bunch of evil hippies. It wasn't a bunch of homeless kids with their dog on a rope. It was the elderly couple. It was the business guy. It was the student. It was a New York subway car. It was America. It was everybody. And that's when it really hit me. That's when I got it. And I went, wow, this needs to happen all over the United States of America, where the old couple, and who knows, it may be for the woman who has arthritis and she wants to knit again, and the cannabis helps. Whatever it is, maybe the guy's got lower back pain. I don't know, I don't care. What I care about is these people being able to get to this product, and this is why I wanted to talk to you, because you are going to be doing it, and I, I hope that you make a lot of money. I want you to become very, very wealthy, but it has to be more than just making a lot of money. A great deal of care needs to be taken. Why? Because you are about to combat and overthrow and overturn 
centuries of oppression and discrimination in this country. And when you start legalizing cannabis and when you start selling it and, and interpreting the perception of cannabis in your home state, wherever you reside, a lot of you are Californians, I bet, but there's some of you from out of state, you are going to be diplomats. You're going to be ambassadors of a culture that has always been with us, but has had to hide in the shadows. I was born and raised in Washington, D.C. I came to Los Angeles, California to join the band Black Flag in the summer of 1981. It was quite a sea change. I was brought up in a very politically correct, egalitarian punk rock scene. There's a girl who plays bass in a band. No one went, that's a girl in a band. We said, that's the bass player, and she likes tofu. Let's talk about endangered species. That's the kind of people we were. And so I come out to California, and things are a bit more feral and a bit different. Here's the thing I noticed in the summer of 1984, where Black Flag, we spent most of the year outside of the state because we feared police oppression because the cops did not like us and we didn't like them. That was, I think, Chief Daryl Gates was in charge in those days. He didn't like us, we didn't like them, and it was an awful thing. Also, the Olympics came to Los Angeles and we knew they were gonna clear the city of people like us, so we just booked lots of shows. Here's the thing I noticed around 1983, 1984 in Los Angeles, maybe you being a Californian noticed it where you live. I noticed I would come back from tour and there's no internet. There's no way to catch up on the gossip except to go hang out somewhere and ask what's been going on since I came back from the last nine year tour of Black Flag. And you found out that three of your friends now do heroin. Two of your friends OD'd and died from heroin. That you can no longer get weed. Uh, your, your cannabis dealer now deals heroin. And he'll give you two weeks free to see if you're interested. And these people would say to me, me and my girlfriend have been trying heroin for six weeks. Trying it for six weeks? Yeah. It's really cool. You want to try some? <laughs> no. We're not addicted. Oh, no, 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 you're not addicted. No, after six weeks of trying it, no, not addicted at all with a snot coming out of your nose. You're falling asleep in front of me. And there came a time in Los Angeles where I'm exaggerating a little bit, but not too much, where you could walk down the street and almost trip over a duffel bag of heroin. You'd go to a Denny's. I'd like an omelet. Would you like extra heroin with that? It was everywhere. At that time, I had never heard of COINTELPRO. I did not know what that was. You remember that, Hoover? What I did understand is I read Howl by Allen Ginsberg, and I understood that wonderful turned-on minds in a ge generation will be driven into the street and made to go crazy by the powers that be. And I thought to myself, they are trying to kill us. Law enforcement is targeting punk rock people, young people. They want us to die. They want to turn this punk rock community into a self-cleaning oven. They want us to fix and die or fix and get arrested. Either way, we fuel that drugs are bad, just say no. It was not a war on drugs. It was a war on young people. It was a war on black people. It was a war on brown people. It was a war on what they thought was counterculture that offended Ronald Reagan's lily white conservative America. And that's when I became incredibly switched on to the politics of cannabis. Now, you are all entrepreneurs, I guess, which means you're going to be making money. When Alex said to you, you're going to make money, everyone went, wee! Good! You need to make some money. But here's the last thing I want to impart to you before we do the Q&A, and I'll get out of your way for the rest of the day. 
You're going to be selling stuff. And some of you might be cold-blooded capitalists where you just sell stuff and make money. That is how the major label industry died. I spent 10 weird years being on two major labels. And the new A&R guy would come into DreamWorks, the label I was on. And he would be my A&R guy, my representative at a massive Death Star corporate entity. So I need him to be analog cool. And this guy said to me, I used to sell computer parts. Now I'm selling records. And I went, oh, I'm screwed. And luckily, I had one more record on my contract. I did it, and they said, get out, and I said, I'm going. And so that might describe one or two of you, where you like to sell stuff and make money. I cannot tell you this as, too many times. You are not just selling stuff. You are selling the great change of a long-held idea in this country that you can oppress people because of their, their economic strata or their skin color or who they love. Cannabis plays into that. Now, as Alex said, the cops will have less people to bust. They won't know what to do with themselves for a while. So they might start making stuff up. It's a problem. And so there will be a problem with states who don't like you anyway, but they, they need your money. And so you need to be very careful with the people who will be coming to you to buy your goods. So if you are going to be a mere capitalist and just, just take people's money, I have an unconditional affection for you because you're sitting through this, but you're here. I, screw you if you're just going to sell stuff and make money and not give a damn about these people. Okay? And so... I, I'm not trying to be tree-huggy or too utopian. Actually, I am, because I think I'm right. This is the start of something really big. And I think you and we are all at the, at the ground floor of what is going to start as a revolution and is going to end as a, what were we thinking? History will look back, like a hundred years from now, they'll be teaching this in university, saying a long time ago there was a, a weird kind of prohibition in America steeped in racism and bigotry and ignorance against the use of cannabis, and now they make the shells of spaceships out of hemp. Why, there's hemp in my toothpaste. There's my, my son's hair is made of hemp. And there's, everything will be made of hemp, and there'll be cannabis anywhere you want it. This is the beginning of that. And so you are, in a way, revolutionaries, but to me, you're brainy and you're gutsy because you are taking on something and you're getting in on the ground floor of something that is going to be, uh, 50 years from now, for rote. But for now, it's dicey. And so you are going to have to defang and declaw the idea of cannabis. To the right of my father is a wall and Sean Hannity. I don't know if this homophobic, racist, misogynist PhD is still alive. I, the last time I saw him, I was a teenager because I don't hang out with racist, homophobic, misogynists as far as I know. I want my father, who thinks if you inhale weed, you become homosexual and the empire falls over. That's what he thinks. If you inhale one double lungful of cannabis, you go gay and the empire folds. And he once told me at age seven, you know how Rome fell? I was like, I'm in second grade. I don't know what Rome is. 
queers. Thanks, Dad. Thanks for the, the beginning of the ruining of my life. Oh, Ramones, please hurry up and make a record to save me. I would like cannabis dealers to be able to render this product to the public and change minds where even my dad who can't be convinced of anything smart or good like global climate change that you could convince him that maybe cannabis would be good for the pain in his lower back or his aching knees to see like my dad with a hash brownie that's the coup to take someone who said no 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 and no and get them off opioids get them off big pharma and get them onto something grown from the ground with care and that's it and so as Alex so eloquently said this has to come from community and it has to come from love and it has to come from not only affection for what you're doing but affection for the people that you are s selling it to trust me the money is going to come you are basically starting to sell toothpaste if people have teeth they're going to use it you are going to sell cannabis for the rest of your lives it's probably going to go really really well but go to it with a kind heart because there's some people who enjoy it for recreational purposes great but there's going to be a lot of people, an overwhelming amount of people who are going to buy it so they can stand up straight in the morning, so they can have an appetite because they're going through chemo or whatever it is. And as you know, cannabis has a million and one uses. We need to be part of the million, not the one use where you sit home, buy pizza and watch the sci-fi channel because that is the perception. And cannabis is so much more. And who's telling you this? Someone who doesn't even use it. And so, but I see the overwhelming good in it. We are going to have to convince a country that voted Donald Trump into office that we are right and they need to read more. And that is our obligation. And, and I, just, I just hope that you never lose that idea. And to me, that's what makes all of this quite fun. Because you can go to your job every day and make a ton of money. Great, great, do that. But know that you're doing something good. And if you approach it with good intent, good will come. If you approach it like you just want to make money, your product will taste like it. It'll look like it. Your store will look like it. If you just like, look like you're making money, it won't be nice. And, and everyone will know. And so please, go at it with a good heart. And that is basically what I wanted to say to you today. And so, Alex, if you're here, you want to break in. I don't know if anyone would have any questions for the likes of me, because I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm just one <sighs> of these people who uh, uh, I am rooting for you from the sidelines with everything I got, because I think that you are the future. And in, a, in one day, cannabis will just be common sense, like aspirin like a workout, like stretching before you go for a run. It'll just be that thing that we do. For now, that is the thing to wrestle, tame, organize. And I hope you leave here, whenever this thing is over, with that in mind and go forth into your entrepreneurial profit-based operations. And I own a few different companies. I write books. And since no one else will publish them, 
I do. I've had a number of record companies. I put out the records that I like. Some of them sell, some of them don't. But damn it, we got that avant jazz record into the world. <laughs> Why? Because I really love what that piano player does. And I put out every record and every book I've ever done with a great deal of affection. And if I was the richest guy in the world, I would give it all away and just pay the artists their royalties, just whatever I owed them. But I always go after every, every if I'm on stage, I'm coming at the audience with affection. Anything I sell, I'm selling with affection. I don't mind making money, but I, I, I don't want to be a jerk about it because that's the worst. And you never get it back. If you go into it with bad intent, it's hard to turn that around. And so I'm not going to sit here and repeat and repeat and repeat. You've heard me. I hope it was not too boring. If I had my way, I'd talk in front of you all day. Because uh, as Alex said, I do travel a lot. I've been to about 100 countries in all seven continents. And the one thing I've noticed all over the world, if you get humans in an environment where they're not terrified, uh, they usually skew towards generosity and kindness and decency. And that's what I would like to think that this community is all about going forward. Thank you. Have a really nice day. Henry Rollins. That was great. I gotta say, uh, he's probably the, the the first keynote speaker we've ever had who worked up a sweat on stage. That's pretty impressive. Do, do you have questions? We have time for a few questions. There's a question right here. We'll come over here. There you go. Mr. Rollins, uh, Shenandoah Childers from the Central Valley, big agriculture area out here. Uh, I came from Silver Spring, Maryland as well. Um, the question is, uh, I guess, what do you see as far as the the, it, it appears to be an, an inevitable industrialization of everything in America, the food supply, the, med the medicine. How long until that, that occurs in your mind's eye? And what can we do on this level to really keep, keep, from, keep that from occurring? That's a great question, and, and I'm sorry I didn't bring it up today. Thank you for doing it, because I've been thinking about that a lot. Anything with this amount of cash potential, the, the, the Walmart-sized U.S. steel forces, no doubt, are like standing there going, licking their, their chops, waiting to jump in. I, I would like to think that you all would do such a great job with even the art on the packaging and the sincerity with which you vend, that if Marlboro came in and tried to make Walmart cannabis in that awful hard pack and sell it in a 7-Eleven, I would like to think that cannabis fans would reject it out of hand and rather go to the mom and pop place and reject the big box store version of cannabis. Because eventually you'll be able to buy something, a, a cannabis product, from Amazon delivered by an Amazon drone. I would like to see the local level be like the mom and pop bookstores and record stores that I used to go into in the 80s and enjoy. Sadly, many of them are gone because Barnes & Noble and all the big box stores, people who don't even read are stocking books on shelves. They don't love books. They just love product and selling it. And so I think the important thing is what I was saying, and no doubt what you're thinking, is that we really have to keep this, the integrity over the, the quality over quantity. Because no doubt someone's going to come in and change their fields from corn, potatoes, uh, tobacco or whatever, and try and get in on this. I'm hoping that the fans, the consumers of cannabis... Will be
Henry Rollins spoke earlier today at the International Cannabis Business Conference here in San Francisco. That's all the time we've got for our Hour 1, but stay tuned live. Hour 2, we've got live interviews, including this gentleman sitting here to my left. Dale Schaefer will be joining us at the beginning of Hour 2. Then at 4.20, you get the guru of ganja, Ed Rosenthal, stopping by. And then at 4.40, Chris Conrad, California cannabis expert and the author of The Newbie's Guide to the Cannabis Industry. For everyone here at the ICBC, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for Hour 2. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a scene, you plan it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a scene, you plan it.